It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The chicken salt native, the chicken salt Hall of Famer. You got so many Hall of Fames, I don't even know how to introduce you. Oklahoma's favorite son. I'm so excited about this guest. I can't even introduce my old partner, Gerald Briscoe, because he's done it all. One of the greatest characters in the history of the business, one of the best guys in the history of the business. He was a former captain of his football team, state wrestling champion, Royal Rumble, the first one. He was the winner, WWE Hall of Famer. Every Hall of Fame you can mention, he is in. He's beat cancer twice, and he beat up a home invader recently also as well, just to prove that he's not over the hill. He is our friend, Mr. Hacksaw, Jim Duggan. Hacksaw, welcome to the show. Uh, Thanks very much, folks. John, Jay, good to see you guys. But you know the first thing Hacksaw's got to do, brother? Give a big ho! (laughs) Kind of fires me up nowadays. Get some blood flowing, you know? I said everybody should start the day off with a good ho. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey Jerry, oh, Jerry. Yeah. I saw I was down in I was down in Arkansas and I ran into Hacksaw, sat right by him and his lovely wife. I didn't realize it was his birthday. I didn't find out till later. I would have loved to have bought him dinner, but I didn't realize that till later. So it did save me some money. But uh I'm sitting by Hacksaw and his wife. Uh, not only am I sitting by this Mid-South legend, one of the biggest stars in the history of Mid-South, in the old Mid-South territory, he'd just been on every news show beating up a home invader. He had a line of like a thousand people. I'm like Virgil sitting next to him <laughs> just sitting there by myself watching college football well that that's your usual line there brother that, that actually to tell the truth that is my usual line usually it's just virgil virgil waits to get some autograph virgil waits to get your autograph <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> oh jim man and like uh, jbl said but what a pleasure it is to have you on there and uh, you know we we've, we've tried you know your schedule is, is so busy man and you 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 well, beat up so many. You beat up so many home invaders and all that <laughs> stuff. So we finally got our opportunity to get on here. Hopefully, uh, you don't uh, JBL don't piss you off enough where you go over to Texas and and, and, and slap the crap out of him for me. <laughs> It'd be a personal favor if you did. <laughs> no, yeah. but what what a career! What a career you've you've had, man! And just take us back a little bit. You know, 
Hacks all Jim Duncan. And, uh, JBL said earlier, you know, three sports, uh, three star sport in high school, wrestling, football, uh, basketball, and track and field, probably too, right? Probably yeah, four well. sports. And you yeah. excelled at all of them. And but yeah. I take us take us a little bit through that high school career. And 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 I know your your aspiration was always to be a, a professional football player. But in the back of your mind, had you watched uh, uh, any uh, wrestling, professional wrestling, had any thoughts about that growing up? Yeah, it's funny. I uh, tell you, up in Glens Falls, I'm from a small little town, upstate New York. You know, two uh, about 200 miles north of New York City. And you hear in wrestling all these horror stories where guys grew up in these horror situations. I tell folks, I grew up in Mayberry. <laughs> my, my dad was chief of police. I had three loving sisters. So you were hoping. Yeah, I, I, I had a I had a great childhood. I had a great high school career also. Uh, football was my main sport, but uh, my shot put records from 1973 still stands today in my high school. Really? <laughs> I'm like, get those, I said, get those kids some Cheerios almost 50 years. <laughs> Almost wow. 58 six. Yeah, it was a pretty good toss, but guys are throwing way over 60 now. But 58 six back in 1973. So that my uh, shopping record still stands. I won the New York State Wrestling Championship. I was undefeated as a heavyweight. First guy from my high school ever to win the States. And football was my main sport. So I was recruited by Ohio State, Penn State, Paterno, and Woody Hayes. Uh, highly recruited back then, but a coach from Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas, came up to Glens Falls. He had a big 10-gallon hat on. He had a cowboy buckle, cowboy boots, walking around upstate New York in the 70s, took out like a Thor thumb. <laughs> but my mom fell in love with him. <laughs> Who was the coach? Uh, Bob Cutberth. Back then it was uh, Dave Smith and then Ron Meyer. Right, that's not like it Ron Meyer, but uh, it was Cutberth, okay. Yeah, uh, Cutler was the old line coach. He was just the old line coach. But he came up and he got to know my mom, stayed the week up in Glens Falls. I came back from Ohio State and I'm like, I'm playing for Woody Hayes. I'm playing for <laughs> Ohio State. And my mom grabs me. She says, come here, Jimmy, come here. She goes, you'll just be a number at Ohio State. Go down to SMU. They really want you there. So I ended up going down to SMU. And I had a great career down there. I, I broke in as a freshman when I started, uh, when freshmen could first start in varsity. So I had a career uh, start record for a while. I was co-captain of the team. I had a great career down there. But the biggest thing, I met Fritz von Erich. And Fritz came up to me and go, and I never watched wrestling. I wasn't a wrestling fan, paid no attention to it at all. And Fritz came up to me and goes, kid, you know, you might be a wrestler. I said, no, I'm going to be in the NFL for 10 years. Nice talking to you, Mr. <laughs> Wrestler. So I go to the Atlanta Falcons in 1977. I get hurt during preseason, have two knee surgeries. I stay on injured reserve the whole season. Go back in 78, try to play. Boom, they cut me. I went up to Canada. I was playing with the Toronto Argonauts with Forrest Gregg, head coach up, up in the Argos, offensive lineman, a dime a dozen. They clipped me up there. I said, let me call this Fritz von Erich guy up. <laughs> I called Fritz, and Jerry, you'll appreciate this. What a gift Fritz gave to me. Because back then, if you weren't somebody's kid, if you weren't related to somebody, you didn't get in the business. Now everybody, you got a wrestling school, you want to be a wrestler? There's a, tons of wrestlers. Back then, if you weren't connected, you didn't get in the business. 
And so Fritz brought me down to the Sportatorium and opened up what a huge gift, opened up the business from an outsider complete. And uh, David Manning, the referee down there, kind of showed me the ropes a little bit. Gene Hernandez, God bless Gino, took me under his wing, took care of me a little bit there at uh, in the Dallas, and, uh, and and that's how I broke in with with Fritz. But I went. I, I, understand, I understand David Von or uh, Gary Hart bought you your first pair of boots too, right? Yeah, Gary Hart gave me my first pair wow. of trunks. He sure did. <laughs> yeah, wow. he sure did. Oops, all right, that bro. Uh, Jim, Jim, tell us a little bit. I mean, you know, John and I are such football fans. You know, Woody Hayes, Joe Paterno. Wow, you're recruited by the very, very best in, in, in collegiate football. Then, how was it? I mean, you're you're you're, you're a little country boy from uh, upstate New York, and all of a sudden, these 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 absolute gods are walking in into your door uh, room there, and that had to be uh, awesome. Yeah, well, I was I was such a straight kid back then. You know, I wore a sport coat and tie because uh, I went to a Catholic school most of my life. But in the high school, my dad realized he needed me move me to the public school with the bigger bigger sports uh, uh, teams. So I went to the public school, but I still wore a sport coat and tie. Wow. Well, what 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 did you weigh back in those days too? Two fifty. Wow, you're wow. a big guy. six yeah. four or something like that. Yeah, six three, two fifty. Yeah, and, uh, so. Yeah, I was a good sized kid, especially back then, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, nowadays, every if you're not six five, three hundred, yeah, you're not big. Uh, yeah. Back then, uh, six two, two fifty was big. So, yeah, I was considered a, a big guy, offensive guard. And like I said, I had you know I had the shot put record. I uh, I wrestled. I played basketball one year, you know, and football was my main sport. And yeah. that was that was a pretty good offensive lineman, man. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah, I did seven recruiting trips. Back then, they didn't have a limit on recruiting yeah. trips. Where all did you go? Uh, uh, Syracuse, Ohio State, Penn State, SMU, Kentucky, Rhode Island, and New Mexico. Wow, all of it. Wow, and I want to the finals. Pardon? How did New Mexico end up in the finals? I, I don't you got know. all these yeah, great schools, and well, then all of a sudden you got New Mexico. They were offering me trips, and I had never uh, yeah. been anywhere but Glens Falls, New York. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, of course, me and Gene Okerlund used to go, we're going to talk to Hacksaw Duggan, who took a cut and pay to leave SMU and go to Atlanta. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, you did. <laughs> uh, Jim, Jim, uh, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm still a pretty active uh, alum. I go back to the, me and Deborah go back to the uh, usually homecoming. This year we went back to the Navy game, uh, watched SMU beat Navy. But they I was doing the ESPN deal, and the guy has me up in the booth, and he says, Hacksaw, what can you say good about SMU? And I'm like, SMU, they have the best-looking uniforms in the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, just, They're so struggling John, a little bit. They're struggling. Yeah. They'll come around, though. They have that Texas football down there. They, they, they'll come around. So, John, will know, you went into state in New York uh, at heavyweight uh, when you're in high school. John, New York, is, is uh, that state is probably one of the, along with California, is probably one of the most difficult places to win a state championship because all these other states have three, four different divisions. Back in those days, and still to this day, New York and California are the only teams in the United States that have only have one division. So, those big ass states all come together, and, and you got to wrestle everybody in the state to become state champion there. So, man, oh, that's quite a feat there. Congratulations. 
Uh, thank you. Yeah, most of the guys are all from big cities, uh, public school number 128, and from Guns uh, Falls High. <laughs> <laughs> did you I read, I read. Did you think I, about playing two sports in, in college? Did you think about wrestling also? No, but I was recruited by uh, Iowa State. Chris Taylor, remember? Yeah, Chris, you got I'll bet Chris. Chris. I don't have to explain <laughs> to you guys who Chris Taylor is. But, yeah, I, I met Chris on a recruiting trip. Yeah, but, uh, no, I, football – I was so focused on football, and when I got cut, that was an oh, unbelievable time for me. I was I was lost. I was in the Furman University, and they had a traffic circle in in uh, Greenville, and I just <laughs> drove around the traffic circle. I didn't know what to do. I've always played wow. football. I've always been good at it, and now they're turning wow. your playbook. Yeah, so it was a traumatic deal. But uh, I wish, looking back at it, that I started wrestling much sooner. You know, I look at my friends, uh, Jake, DiBiase, guys that grew up in the business, second-generation wrestlers, Kurt Henning. Those guys are just that much more polished. They know the business. You know, they were in the ring when they were 16. I got in when I was 25, where I was like, I, well, I can beat him. Well, I tell you what, brother, I'd compare your 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 career with any, any of those guys' career also. You're the, the damn Hall of Fame, so it could have gone much better than what it is. And, and, you, drew, and, you, and you drew money everywhere you went. So, you know, that experience level, just because of your personality, your tenacity, and being an athlete that you were, you, you work your way to the top without all those connections and everything. That, that, that's had off in your favor, brother. Well, that's one thing you understand, Jerry, is, is how competitive wrestling is. That's when a kid goes, you know, I want to be a wrestler. I said, well, chase your dreams, because I never thought Daniel Bryant would make it. But there's a kid that worked hard and, and had the desire and became a big, huge star. But if you look at it as a businessman, there's 1,200 NFL football players. There's 500 NBA basketball players. There's about 200 WWE, AEW wrestlers. It's television. It's more competitive than sports. And it's just not kids from America. You got kids from Japan, Australia, Europe. Everybody wants one of those 200 spots. It's a very, very competitive business. But I got to tell you, don't keep going. It's been a great business for me. You know, everybody sees the dark side of the ring and talks about my good buddy, Jake the Snake Roberts and all that stuff. I'm the opposite side of the coin. Uh, me and my wife, we've been together almost 40 years. I never had to go to rehab for booze or drugs. You know, I did a lot of both. <laughs> Can't throw no stones, <laughs> but just never got addicted. You know, that was I joke. I said, no felony arrest. A couple of misdemeanors, but it was the 80s, you know. <laughs> 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 the hey, how did the straight kid? Me, me and the Sheik will live in infamy together, you know. Yeah. And the worst thing about it, people go, well, you and your good buddy, the Sheik. <laughs> I gave the guy a ride one day, but uh, I, I made my bet. I got a leg in it. Hey, how did a straight guy from Glen Falls, New York, end up with Gino Hernandez? Because that's talking about two polar opposites. That, that, that was the start of the transition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was an extremely straight kid that I got into wrestling. I sure was. And then you know, as time went on, because people, especially our generation of guys, people try to compare us to sports teams. I said, no, we're more like a rock and roll band, you know, different city, different country. And that's my old joke. I tell you, the old days, the booze, the broads, the drugs. God, I miss the old days. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny when somebody asks me that, they go, wasn't there like a lot of drugs and like a lot of women and stuff? <laughs> 
yeah, it was wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> then they just I, shut up. They have nothing else to say about after that. I have a slight <laughs> memory loss. It's the 80s. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The 80s. But it, that was the golden age of wrestling. You know, Hogan, Macho, Warrior. And that was just a moment in time, man. I was lucky to be part of that group. Because, you know, I, I, the WWF was my heyday where I worked with DiBiase, Dusty, and Orton. But I also worked in the WWE where I worked with Dusty's kid, DiBiase's kid, and Orton's kid. <laughs> First, I beat up the old man, then I beat up the kid. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> That's always a thrill, too. I, I, I always read uh, Randy Orton when I see him. I said, you know, I beat up every day, or every Orton and, and your family had beat me up except you. Your grandfather beat me up. Your father beat me up. Your uncle beat me up. Everybody beat me up. Every Orton beat me up except him. So. You give me a shot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's still time. Yeah, there's yeah. still time, yeah. Well, go to take, yeah. it, take, it, take it back to that Dave Benning. What a great trainer Dave was. Dave, Dave really trained a lot of good guys, and, and a lot of guys turned out to be sorry. Was you around Scandal or Akbar and those guys like that back in back then? Or was well, you there? Gary yeah, I was. I was in Dallas for a, a short time, really, uh, with Gino and, and those guys. And my first match, they were like, somebody didn't show up. They're like, you got your gear. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what a tough transition, J Johnny. Appreciate this. Uh, for the football player, you know, you got a helmet, shoulder pads. The fans are fifty yards away from you. You got ten other guys around you. All of a sudden, you're a pair of short shorts and patent leather boots, and the fans are sitting right there looking at you. I mean, I was nervous as hell, man. I was, it took me a long time to understand the business. But and I Jim, left. I was, the, I was almost exactly the same. I, 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 I went down to Sportatorium. I played a little football, and all of a sudden, I get cut. I planned on playing for eight or ten years. Didn't work yeah. out. And I come down to Sportatorium with Skandor Akbar, gave me a job, and I'm just expecting to go out there and work on an opening match. And Lou Perez doesn't show up, the, the working cousin of Al Perez. And they stick me in the main event that night, my very first match wow. in the Sportatorium. And I'm the same way. I'm like, this is, this is, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. I had a mustache. I just kept twisting it. <laughs> <laughs> Big Jim Duggan, and I wore a long gold bathrobe to the ring. <laughs> how, how long a training was, was you there? How long? How long did you train before that first time that match happened? Not a couple of weeks, three. In that, in, 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 in that something. I mean, now guys go two, three years of training. Yeah. Where guys I, like I like, like John and myself, I was the same way. I, one of my part brothers' partners got hurt up in Joplin, Missouri. Hey, put your little brother in there. He wrestles in school. He he'll know what to do. You know? Yeah. And the same way, I, I had no training, basically. Yeah. They, they didn't give you much training, yeah. and, um, which was good. But also, I, I got done with there. I went up to visit my dad up in Glens Falls, New York. He knew Arnie Scullin. WWWF is running a show. Arnie pulls me into the show. They like me. They bring me to TV. Now I'm doing jobs on the WWWF TV as Big Jim Duggan for Stan Hansen, uh, Patera, Hogan. There's one of me and Hogan. I'm short hair and clean shaven and wearing my long gold bathrobe with the red and black trunks Gary Hart gave me. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Skolin and Vince Sr., they called me in the office. Of course, back then, everything's cigar smoke. They got the cigars going. And they're like, kid, you might have a future, but come up something better than Big Jim and get rid of that gold bathrobe. <laughs> <laughs> So they said, we're going to send you out to learn how to wrestle. 
I'm thinking, oh my gosh, you know, where are you guys going to send me? They're like, we're going to send you to Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Hawaii. I was working for High Chief Peter Maivia in Hawaii in like 1979, 1980. Haku was over there. Ming, we were both young guys making 20, 40 bucks a week, maybe. <laughs> my mom would send us care packages over to Hawaii with peanut butter and crackers. And over there, I'm a relatively young kid, and they're like, uh, put a put a hood on. They put me under a mask, and I wrestle as the convict. <laughs> <laughs> what was your name? Pardon? What was your name? The convict. Oh, convict! Wow. Because <laughs> I had the mask, right? I'm the yeah. convict. Yeah. So how how often were you wrestling in Hawaii for for me, for chief? Twice a week, maybe. Yeah, like I said, we were starving, we, but we all lived in a motel. We we're all young guys. Siva and Alpha, they would come through and they'd take us out and buy us a steak. <laughs> we were starving. You remember the day you died, right? We were eating Chinese buffets all week or all month. Siva <laughs> and Alpha come and they'd take us to a steakhouse, buy us a steak. But I'm down there trying to dress up the convict look, so I put little C's on my mask for the convict, right? So I stomped on down to the ring, and the fans were like, convict, why'd you put those ears on your mask? <laughs> said, they're not ears, they're C's for the convict. You know? Didn't a lot so of groups, uh, like the guys going on the way to Japan, would stop off in Hawaii and would work there a couple shows for Peter Mavia? Exactly, and I'll tell you what, John, John this will because way back later on, I worked with Andre, where I knock Andre out with my two-by-four. Andre tore the hood off the convict in Hawaii. <laughs> I, knew that I met the man over in Hawaii and I got to know him a little bit and all that. Because what a huge favor he did letting me knock him out. I mean, that elevated my career. But he remembered way back when I was Jabroni Joe with the, the convict <laughs> hood on. And yeah, I remember you, kid. And we had a good rapport with, with Andre. And because uh, all the guys would come back from Hawaii, or excuse me, Japan stop in Hawaii, do a big show. We'd have a big show whenever the guys would come through at the arena. But uh, the rest of the time were little small buildings. And, but, uh, but I got to know uh, Andre and the, the Samoans there. And, and, I left there at, and where did yeah, you go from Hawaii? To Georgia Championship Wrestling. And I went in as Big Jim Duggan. <laughs> Went back to Big Jim. Man, back to Big Jim again. The convict. Yeah. The, the convicts. We put a. I had the Charlie Cook. Remember Charlie Cook? Oh yeah, Charlie Cook. Yeah. Yeah, I used to have football matches with Charlie Cook. He had his helmet. I had my helmet. <laughs> when um, Ole Anderson came in and Crockett and those guys, I didn't like. I didn't get along with Ole. We just didn't mesh. So I left there and I went to uh, Pensacola with the Fullers. <laughs> And it was great. I had a 500 a week guarantee. I was living on the beach. And before you get a bag of weed, 400 bucks for any combination <laughs> you wanted, you know, it was great. I was living, <laughs> I was living on the beach, a hot little stripper chick, you know. And so I, I met uh, Buck Robley and Bruiser Brody in Atlanta before uh, Crockett took it over. And they went to San Antonio for Joe Blanchard. So Buck Robley calls me and goes, hey, we got a great spot with Brody over here in the San Antonio, and I'm like, well, Buck, things are going pretty good here in Pensacola. 50-mile <laughs> trips, right? <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. Brody calls me the next day, get your ass out of here, learn how to wrestle, you know. <laughs> so I went, I worked with Brody on top that first night for Paul Bosch at the Sam Houston Coliseum. 
I got my envelope. I went in the bathroom. I opened it up. It was a thousand dollars. I said, I'm going. I'm on my way to San Antonio, and and that's where I became hacksaw and got the two by four and really developed the character in the San Antonio with uh, Joe Blanchard. How did that come about exactly? How did you become hacksaw? Well, the 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 story of under my football days, I'd run down, I cut through the wedge, and I kick off teams. I'd break through the wedge, hex my way through the wedge. That's all bull. <laughs> you're, you're a wedge breaker. <laughs> nothing to do with it, no. And me, Buck, and Brody sitting around the kitchen table going, how about this? <laughs> how about hacksaw? Because people go, you're hacksaw dugging, but you carry a two-by-four. Should you Does be the two-by-four two come along with it? The two-by-four come along with hacksaw at that time? <laughs> Well, no, I'll tell you, because, you know, as you know, back then, that was long before sports entertainment, you know, and if, you know, you think it's fake, come up in the ring, we'll show you if it's fake or not, so you got to fight a lot of local tough guys, and if you're a heel, the people, they really hated your guts, they'd spit at you, punch at you, and as you know, you'd walk out to the car with a group of heels, you wouldn't walk out by yourself, you had that much heat, excuse <laughs> me. So just getting back and forth in the dressing room was tough. You know, they have these rope barricades in most buildings back then. So I'm sitting back in like Amarillo, Lubbock, West Texas, somewhere all covered with loogies and bruises, sitting there rethinking my career choice. You know? And Brody comes in, he goes, Duggan, he says, if you carry something to the ring, carry something you can use. Forget those feathered boas and sequin robes, right? So I sit there and I look down and go, well, Here's a piece of wood. <laughs> and I came out yelling, waving that two by four. It was like part in the Red Sea. Then people scattered. I got to the ring. I'm like, this is great. You know? <laughs> and Bro Brody, Brody was, was it one hell of a guy. Sounds like you really you, you formed a pretty nice friendship with, with uh, Bruce and Brody. Yeah, I never worked Puerto Rico no. because of what happened with Bruce. No. Uh, he was very influential in my career. Yeah. I would say like we were, we never hung out and Traveled together and none of that, but we worked quite a bit, especially in my real formative stuff. Yeah, he he was a football player like you from uh, Iowa State and West Texas. So, uh, yeah, he, yeah. so you guys, yeah, you guys had that too. Stan, uh, yeah, one of my good friends to this day is Stan. Yeah, you mentioned a guy a little bit earlier, Buck Robley. He's one of the most underrated guys in our business as far as business minds go. I mean, yeah. you hear Buck Robley, you know, he's a party guy. You hear more about his party. And you you do about his creativity, and that's a shame because the guy was a brilliant guy in our business backstage. Well, you think mid south, we would do our TV at the Irish Hills Boys Club, and then run Superdome shows. I mean, uh, he I mean he blinded junkyard dog to free birds, blinded junkyard dog. I dressed up in a gorilla suit and got him. I mean, just great professional wrestling, you know, just yeah. great. And, and well, that's what I've been a gorilla suit. Pardon? That's such a great, such a great oh, story. Yeah. So it's a loser leave town, dog versus DiBiase, and everybody knows, you know, dog's a marquee guy. He's not going to lose, so it's got to be DiBiase. So I get dressed in a complete gorilla suit with makeup and everything. I stand out in front of the TV studios with a bunch of balloons in my hand, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the fans, you know, the fans, gorilla, you want to come to wrestling? I'm like, ooh, 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 ooh. So they bring me in, and the whole show went passing out balloons, cheering the baby faces. Finally, it's Dog and DiBiase. They're having a hell of a battle. Dog takes a bump out of the ring. I brush him off. 
boom, run them into the post. I pull that gorilla mask off. They're like, it's Dugan. It's cockeyed Dugan. <laughs> cockeyed Dugan. <laughs> but I wouldn't get mad about the cockeyed deal. I'd be like, it's Dugan. It ain't Dugan. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> such a great heel that's <laughs> such a great heel response it's like you fat asshole you go i'm not an asshole <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and so dog came back under the mask of stagger lee and we could never right. unmask him to prove it was dog that came back what a great angle you know right. even though he had to lose and leave town he came back as stagger lee right. great stuff Great little territory. And for a while, about 80% of the WWE Hall of Fame guys came through Mid-South. Right. Yeah. Because you wrestle nine times a week. Uh, you do an individual interview for every city. So you lear really learned your trade. Ben Watts had a heck, heck of a machine going down there. He brought in some guys to do the book for him that were really old school wrestling guys. And that's what Bill was. But Bill had an affinity for for big guys, athletes, whether they were wrestlers or football players or what. Bill Bill really enjoyed helping out athlete athletic guys down there. Yeah, he, so he you, did. You guys were loaded with him. Yeah, Junkyard Dog, Doctor Death, myself, and we're other guys. I mean, uh, the Brulee Runners, Warrior, and the Sting. You know, he could also be a very vicious guy. Bill was. He's changed his life and is reborn and everything. But there, he was a vicious man down there at. Uh, Mid-South, too. He ran a tight ship, but also an extremely successful ship. Did you, know, you enjoy working kind of, for him? Pardon? Did you enjoy working for him? Uh, well, you know, especially because uh, when WrestleMania started, Vince came down WrestleMania 1. He grabbed Junkyard Dog, brought Dog up for WrestleMania 1. That elevated me to the top guy in Mid-South, man. So, yeah, he was paying me. I bought my first and second home down in Louisiana. The folks really, I really was over down there. And then WrestleMania two came and Jake went up for WrestleMania two and, and Jake and I still stay in touch. And he called me, go, Hey, Duggan, this is the place to be. So I went up from WrestleMania three, DiBiase's still out in mid South. He goes, well, shoot, I can't go to New York. You know, Jake, the snake Roberts, junkyard dog, Axel, Duggan, I'm Ted DiBiase. Shit, he goes up, gets the best gimmick of anybody, the million dollar man. <laughs> He, he had worked out the best at all for Teddy, but uh, a lot of guys came through Mid-South. with hard territory, a lot of driving. But we were all young guys, so at Shreveport, we'd be at the Sheraton, ooh, you know, and uh, every night was a different party, a different city. How were the Freebirds down there? Were they crazy in, uh, in Mid-South? They were crazy everywhere. <laughs> my, first, my first run across the Freebird, actually, Terry Gordy got blessed from one of my best friends. A great story. And Dr. Death, and those guys became best friends. And the three of us, even though we were all best friends, we're all never together at the same time. Over all the years we were together, now both those guys are gone. But uh, I met the birds when I was at Georgia Championship Wrestling, and I moved in with Terry Gordy. Wow. And I was living with Gordy, man. We're drinking at Jack Daniels, driving in that Gordy van, Buddy Roberts. People go, you know, Buddy's a bad drunk. I'm like, yeah. I've been around bad drunks. I know bad drunks. Next day, I'm going, that guy's a bad drunk. Oh. 
<laughs> hey, Hacksaw, to this day, Michael Hayes is mad at us. Uh, Buddy came to a match in Nashville after uh, Michael was already an agent for working for WWE. And we're in the back and we're sitting there with Buddy. And that one, we're like, we, I just wanted to talk to Buddy too. But we got him pretty liquored up. And Michael Buddy's had to dead. drive from Nashville down to Atlanta with, with a liquored up Buddy. <laughs> Michael was so mad at us. He goes, you bastards. You uh, bastard. He's a horrible. I mean, yeah, it's a different level. But he's he's gone too, you know, shit. Um, and, and big Gordy. I miss Gordy. Gordy and Doc. I was living with Doc in Louisiana when I uh, met my wife. And then of course those guys, I went to New York, Doc went to Japan, Gordy went to Japan. They hooked up over there. And over the years we'd see one another and they'd see each other in Japan, but the three of us were never together at the same time. So well, probably probably a good thing uh, that you guys were never together. Did you ever see any of those guys throw down? Because all three of them could, could go, Buddy and Buddy and uh, uh, Doc. Well, buddy, yeah, Gordy, Gordy could really go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he wouldn't sell neither. I think <laughs> he'd have his drink and be pow, pow, pow. Well, wait a minute, brother. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Michael. Well, I, I haven't really seen Michael go, but. Uh, yeah, of course, back in the day, there was a lot of, you know, before there was dash cams and all that stuff, You could, the, the the police would cut you a break. If you get in a fight in a bar, you wouldn't get sued. I mean, you get thrown out. Yeah, years ago, we, me and Gordy, we went out in Shreveport, Louisiana. We came back to the Alamo Plaza Motel. Yeah. <laughs> we went on the Alamo Plaza. Eight dollar a night. <laughs> and we're pounding on the door trying to get the grappler to open up he wouldn't open up so we ended up long story short both of us crashed into the door crashed the door down it was the wrong room <laughs> <laughs> there's a guy on the phone they're in here they're in here now but you know back then the cops came we got thrown out of the hotel we paid the damages nobody got arrested it was a, a different time so Hacksaw, I think you could be immortal because you're a, you're a straight kid from Glen Falls. You end up with Gino Hernandez. You live with a free bird. You beat cancer twice. I really think you you might you actually might be immortal. I don't know, man. I've, I've thrown the dice a lot. I don't want to throw them anymore. Yeah, I had that heart issue too right after about 64, right at 65. And so I had the, uh, a thing called an ablation where they had to go up into my heart and, and scar it a little bit. But it, I take my medication. But my doctor's like, Jim, you don't see a lot of old, heavy guys. <laughs> I'm like, I got your point, doc. So I went from like 275. I, I Last time I was at the doctor, I was 228, lighter than high school. Wow. And he's like, Jim, you're supposed to be 225. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a wrestling coach, right? <laughs> yeah, but they, I just turned 69. I feel good, you know, and uh, I get, get, get my checkups. So I was talking earlier, you know, my wife's like, well, it's time for your physical. I'm like, I don't need a physical. I feel great. She goes, too late, already on the books. So we went in, they took they took blood tests. They called me up and said, your PSA level's high. Did another test, another test. They come back, Mr. Duggan, you have the most aggressive type of prostate cancer you can have. Wow. Something you'll remember to the day you die when somebody says that to you. Me and my wife were sitting side by side. She started crying. I just sank in my chair. So what do we do? Let's have surgery right away. We went down to uh, Charleston, South Carolina. They did like a four-hour surgery in a Da Vinci robot. They did all the surgery. I came back, did the rehab for like three months, went back, got tested. Mr. Duggan, you still have cancer. Guys, I got to tell you, I was as uh, depressed as I ever been in my life, man. And, uh, 
But uh, I was talking to you earlier. I went down to get my radiation treatment. And radiation folks, they, you wouldn't know the difference. I get my x-ray machine or x-ray. They come in and go, Mr. Duggan, uh, radiation. Wouldn't know the difference. The gentleman sitting across from me is suffering through chemo, lost his hair, spitting into a rag. I was blessed, man. So make sure you guys get your physicals because I had no symptoms up, up to the day. So, so that's, that, like that, that's the way he delivered the news. There wasn't no, no beating around the bush, Mr. Doug. No, they don't sugarcoat it anymore at all. No, yeah. I don't think any, any of the doctors, they don't sugarcoat it. And, you know, uh, yeah, you, like I said, uh, Johnny was saying, this was my second bout with cancer years ago when I was with WCW. And my daughter, that was even more hard, maybe, because I was passing blood. And Deborah's like, well, you go to the doctor. I'm like, well, I took a bad bump in the ring. She goes, well, you don't bump. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I went and they like, Mr. Dougie had kidney cancer. And again, early detection saved my life. They cut me open. All my cancer was encapsulated inside my kidney. It had spread. I didn't have to even go through radiation or chemo. I just had the kidney removed. So like I said, I got a lot going on. Deborah was filling stuff out at the doctor earlier. And I'm like, I'm pretty rough on paper. She goes, not just on paper. <laughs> <laughs> Family, you know the kid. You do the autograph session. The kid comes up and they look at the picture. They're like, "Yeah, <laughs> I guess that could be him." I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I got told one time when I was going through customs, the guy goes, "You look like uh, that JBL guy, just older." <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, long as they don't asked me one day, he goes, "He goes, hey, have you lost weight?" I said, "Yeah, mainly in my arms and neck." <laughs> you get that question did you used to be hacks all them it's amazing though as you guys know how many folks still recognize uh old school wrestling of course i joke you didn't have 200 channels to choose from back then <laughs> you know well, I, I, I think i think that's the greatest thing for these kids nowadays because there's that youtube and you know, we'll never, we'll never really die, you know, because that YouTube channel and life. stuff like it that. Really yeah. has. It, it yeah. really has. As you said, do the autograph sessions. You have young kids there. Their parents were very, you know, the last deal. I was your age when I watched them, you know. I always hate when a kid comes up to me, a nice looking young ladies. My grandmother used to think you were hot. <laughs> your grandmother. How about you? Well, no, you're glow. <laughs> After the prostate thing, don't even worry about that, brother. <laughs> <laughs> when they did that, that's amazing the appeal of wrestling around the world. It's, you know, I do a lot of charity events for the NFL guys, and I'm always asking, like, uh, world champions, where in the world do you fellas go? Yeah. <laughs> and like, well, we went to London. Like, that's like going to the West Coast. Are you kidding? Go to London. I mean, if nobody knows Tom Brady down in Christchurch, New Zealand. Go, oh. Hacksaw, when I lived in Bermuda, they, they used to always give me hell about American sports because we always say we're world champions. So Major right. League Baseball only plays teams in North America. <laughs> the yeah. NFL only oh, yeah. plays teams in the USA. They go, how are you guys world champions? They go, just shut up. Yeah. Shut up. Well, <laughs> At, at my 40 years in the ring, I've wrestled every state in the union, every province in Canada, and 30 different countries. Uh, and a lot of guys are like 50 different countries. It's amazing appeal of wrestling around the world. It's crazy. That ain't bad for Opie from Glen Falls, New York, is it? 
it's that's been quite a trip that's for sure man it really has it, it really has. but i still get up to glens falls when my sister still lives up there so yeah still a nice town but now i live in south carolina i got a little uh, 10 acre farm i tell you guys so that's the deal we've got 10 acres it's all fenced in i'm about 50 yards off the road it's a dirt road no street lights or nothing right before christmas we got the christmas lights on i'm sitting watching tv very seldom that people even come to our gate. Never, nobody ever comes to our house. Because we're 50 yards around after the fence. All of a sudden, there's this huge pounding on our front door. Boom, boom, boom. I'm in the living room. I jump up. My wife, she's packing in the bedroom. She jumps up. We both run. We come into the foyer here, and we got double glass doors. The double glass doors burst open. This guy, 25-year-old man guy, comes in. We got a step, and he trips, and he falls over the step as he comes <laughs> into the house. So now as I'm coming around the corner, he's on his knees. So he's perfect for me. I, I, was, I, I thought this guy's coming to hurt us. You know, he's coming to my house. Everybody knows where I live. He's in the house. He's so, But he was right on his knees. So I got him by goozled. I got him by the throat and the arm and pushed him right back out onto the front porch. And I got him pinned on the front porch. Now he starts screaming, help me, help me. So I think he's talking to Deborah. And I said, watch him. So she puts her foot on him. Huh. So... Here in the yeah, on the front porch. So here in the here, because we live out in the country, I got ducks and chickens and everything. I got a big 44 Magnum by the front door because it's so loud, it scares the coyotes and foxes in the way. Boom, you know. So that's not my home defense gun, but that's the one gun I grabbed. So I got the great big 44. And I'm checking <laughs> yeah. my uh, yeah. The, yeah, model the, the, the dirty hairy one is a model 29 right <laughs> so i'm waiting at the back door thousand one thousand two because i sure somebody else was coming in i thought it was a home invasion nobody comes in i come back to this front guy on the porch now he starts screaming they're going to kill me help me they're going to kill me <laughs> you can't write this stuff at least <laughs> WWE can't write it <laughs> so anyway out of my dark dirt road you hear, we're going to get you, you effing son of a gun. You are going to kill you. So I yell at my wife. I'm saying, turn off the lights on the house. Turn off the lights on the house. She turns off all the lights. She calls 911. She's in hysterics. Lucky she didn't have uh, heart health problems. She says, send the fire truck, send the ambulance, send everybody. <laughs> she wanted lights and sirens because the cops a lot of times come quiet, you know. So now I got this guy in my... Um, I'm sitting in a chair. I hold him on his back. He's spreading on my front porch. I'm looking, trying to see through the darkness, and somebody's coming else over my fence. The old heart had pounded, you know, like out of my. And it was, probably took 15 minutes for the cops to finally see, see that first blue light flicker. I'm like, all right. And then, of course, the troops. And then once they all came, boom, we had Kershaw County Sheriff's Department. They did a great job and, and showed up and, and hooked the guy up and, and took him away and everything. But it was unbelievable scare for 15, 20 minutes. It was terrifying. I, was uh, there other people out in the yard then? Yes, there was two other did the, guys. Did the cops find them? Did the cops find them too? Yeah, yeah, they got but, but the, 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 we took us like two days to find out what happened. But this guy, he's got a, a crush on a 14-year-old girl. He went down and way down to the end of the far end of the, the street, went into her house. Her dad and brother were in there. They had their guns. They started pistol whipping them with their guns, chasing them down the road. Wow. He ran down the road screaming for help all the way. Saw our Christmas lights, climbed over a fence, lost his shoes, climbed over a fence, and came crashing into the house. 
I mean, because thank goodness if I was in the bedroom, that's where I, you know, bedroom to keep your home defense weapon. I would have had that a little 40 cal automatic. I would have had that in my hand. And when he came through, I'd be oh shit, boom, I might have shot him, which would have been horrible. You know, so it it was a it worked out, it worked out well. And plus every conservative news station covered it. Uh, Fox, Newsmax, One America News, none of the CNN, MSNBC, they didn't touch it. But uh, Tucker Carlson, I did a couple shows with Tucker because uh, it was pro-gun, pro-police, you know. So it, uh, so Nobs calls me, the nasty boy Nobs calls me, he goes, Doug, how much you pay that guy to break in your house? <laughs> <laughs> me me and Jerry thought it might have been Brian Blair. We thought yeah. maybe you played like the Bumblebee to come break in and, and do the job for you. No, uh, it, it was it for it worked out where it wasn't bad, but it for we didn't know. Didn't yeah, know. No, it, no. You know, the people come up say I ran out of gas. I mean, plus come into the house. He's in a, in my house. That's where the cop. Well, you're gonna shot him. I'm like, I don't want to shoot nobody. Crazy twenty five <laughs> year old kid. That was always my worry. I live out here north of Tampa, out out in the county, out here on on, on some acreage and all fence stand and everything, and. It, Got no neighbors, and I'm about about. I never have any trick or treaters at all. I've lived there forty some odd years. Never had one trick or treater come down my driveway because it's so damn dark. But you know, I traveled so much. That was one one my big fear with with my wife. So I got a she, you know, gun. She, I can't shoot a gun, so I got a twenty gauge shotgun. It's all you got to do is point it up one direction, pull the trigger. I think go get somebody. <laughs> so don't worry. Just about. scare them off. That's what yeah, I, that's yeah. the same thing with my girls. I have two daughters that live by themselves in Florida. They don't want a gun in the house. I got them a little 410 single barrel. I said, just shoot it. Don't yeah, shoot yeah. it at them. Just shoot it. They'll run yeah, away. Yeah. Scare them off. But yeah, it was a, it was kind of a scary thing, but it uh, it worked out. And uh, plus, they did get a lot of publicity out of it. <laughs> <laughs> did did, did your booking pick up quite a bit then, huh? Yeah, yeah. Jerry, you should have seen his well, line in Arkansas. That's when I'm in the hospital with all my health issues. Uh, Jake the Snake calls me and goes, Duggan, he says, you can bump your prices up now. <laughs> <laughs> should have seen his line in Arkansas, Jerry. It was insane. And it's all, hey, tell us about the home, home invader. I'm going, oh, come on. That had to be, at one, finally, I'm, I'm, I'm with the knobs. I'm like, that was a work. It has to be <laughs> He's making way too much money off this. Yeah. yeah. Well, you you guys both know Deborah. We like I said, we're in a dirt road. Nobody around us, but we got Christmas lights everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on the porch. I mean, nobody comes down our road, but it's Christmas out, and so it was like a beacon. Drew that guy, and he ran and lost his shoes climbing over our fence. But, Did you give him his shoes back? I think the cops got him for him. Yeah. That, that, that was, I mean. It was after it was all over. Poor Deborah. I mean, she was very, very scared. Yeah, I don't blame her. Oh yeah, you know, because yeah, because you, you got guys like the dispatcher. We went and met the deputies, the sheriff, and his dispatcher like a month later to thank him and everything. And sure, her and the dispatcher really had a nice long visit. Yeah, she was scared. It was, I was scared. Well, Jim, changing the the, the the tone of the subject here, and the yeah. story that that's you know that famous that, that you and Sheik. I mean, there's a there's a million versions of that, and I've never heard 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 your side uh, of the story. Yeah, well, I mean, we all we all get in trouble. Damn Sheik, <laughs> Sheik's fault. Well, no, no, I I but uh, I was over twenty one. I made my bed. I got to lay in it, man. But I tell you what, it was a huge 
huge blow to my career. I was lucky to survive it professionally, man. But you think it was right after WrestleMania three, 93,000 people, Pontiac, Silverdome, the killer bees are getting killed by Nikolai and the sheep. I run down my two by four. Boom, I got Nikolai. Boom, I got the sheep. Oh, 93,000 folks. USA, USA. Three weeks later, I'm on the side of a cop car in the Garden State Parkway. <laughs> I mean, what a huge uh, fall from grace. But anyway, so what happened, we did the show. I, we flew into Newark. And I, I ran across the sheik comes up to me, goes, Doug, and I have no credit card. Maybe you give me a ride. I'm like, yeah, sure, sheik, sheik, sheik. I'll give you a ride. Jump in the car, buddy. So he jumps in and he says, let me get some St. Pauli girl beer. I'll never drink another St. Pauli girl beer as long as I live, I promise you. Anyway, so we got this thing. We're in New Jersey. We got this. We're on our way to Asbury Park from Newark. We're going down the Garden State Parkway. And I'm like, well, Sheik, I got a little weed. Do you want to smoke a doobie? He's like, yeah. So we smoked the doob. We're driving down. I'm sipping on the beer. I go by the trooper. The trooper looks at me. He's like, <laughs> he comes screaming out. At the time, I'm living in Louisiana. I was drive through daiquiri huts in Louisiana. <laughs> it's not illegal to drink and drive in Louisiana. So I'm drinking the beer. I, officer, driving by him. Lights and sirens pulls me over. So the trooper comes up to the car. He goes, uh, you're drinking while driving. I said, yes, sir, but I'm not drunk. <laughs> he goes, it's illegal in New Jersey. I was like, oh. <laughs> he goes, you got anything else you want to tell me about? I said, yes, sir, because in Louisiana, they take it away from me, you know. <laughs> Get out of here, Doug. <laughs> I said, yes, sir. I have a small amount of marijuana under my seat. Out of the car, feet back and spread them. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, <laughs> U USA. <laughs> Nothing's working, right? Nothing's working. <laughs> Nothing's working. And now they pull the sheet key out. He's got his purse. They open it up. Three grams of Coke sitting in the purse. <laughs> now they got him on the with the, now there's all kinds of cops. So people guys going down the Garden State Parkway going, there's Hacksaw Duggan and the Iron Sheet. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys were at a major feud at that time, right? Right. I just got done hitting with my two by four. Yeah, okay. yeah, <laughs> yeah, this was way before uh, you know the sports entertainment. This was when K Fabe was strong. Right. And so uh uh I, I got a two tickets, drinking while driving and having less than a half ounce of weed. I just had a couple of doobies, you know. Sheik had a felony bust. He had wow. three grams of cocaine. He went in front of a judge, got bonded out, and we made the show. Wow. <laughs> and we didn't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I called Deborah that night, and they go, honey, we got popped. But nobody knows about it. <laughs> This was long before the internet, right? This is way back. And she called me six o'clock the next morning. Everybody knows. Everybody. <laughs> so my first call was my dad, God bless him, who was my best man in my wedding, best man I ever met. He's still chief of police in Glens Falls. He gets ambushed, TV camera. How about your kid, cocaine, marijuana, partying on the parkway? My pop's like, what? But so I called my dad. He goes, you get arrested for cocaine? I said, no, sir, I got arrested for marijuana. He goes, I know sooner or later. He chewed my butt pretty good. But then my family rallied around me because they realized what a huge blow it was going to be to my career, you know. And uh, my next call was to Vince. 
Never in my life have I gotten through to Vince McMahon so quick. You know, uh-huh. usually I'm on hold for 10 minutes, you know, Duggan for McMahon, yeah, hold. I'm like, Jim Duggan for Vince McMahon, click, click. And guys, I'll tell you, the day I die, I will remember verbatim what Vince McMahon said to me. He goes, Jim, what have you done to us? And I said, Vince, I'm embarrassed and ashamed. He says, turn in your tickets and go home. Hung the phone up. Back then, we had the big stack of tickets, you know. I had my tickets and I went home and he cut a big promo. I waited a couple days. Jake tried to smooze it over. And Jake called me and goes, you're screwed. It ain't going to happen. You're not coming back. <laughs> and uh, so I went off the deep end. I, thank goodness, never stayed with me, man. I did every drug. Cut down trees with an axe. A rabbit ran through my backyard. Yeah, had at it. I mean, I was off. But finally, I kicked out. And I realized I had to get back to work. And I called up and set up a meeting with Dusty down at WCW. But before I flew down to see Dusty, uh, Bruce Pritchard called me. And said, don't do nothing drastic. We're going to bring you back. And they brought me back, but they, you know, they, and they kept me strong, but they never put the big gas on me ever again, you know? So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a big shot to the career, but uh, like I said, I was over 21. I, not the worst thing that's ever happened to me, but it, it's in the top three. Did, uh, top three. Did, did, did you ever get a run with Hogan after that or before that? No, we were always baby faces, me and Hogan. Okay. I worked okay. with him. Big Jim didn't do too good, but <laughs> <laughs> no, never. Then, uh, yeah. And and Vince, you know, a lot of guys hate Vince McMahon. They're like, yeah, son of a gun, Vince McMahon. I don't hate Vince McMahon. You know, I'm 69 years old. Like I said, I, I travel the world to this day. I'm going to Scotland next month. I tell wrestling stories, sign autographs. And of all the 40 years, they people talk a little bit about WCW, a little bit about WWE, a little bit about Mid-South, but WWF. So, uh, yeah, I'm still making a living out of what Vince. Could he treat it as better? Yeah, sure can. But the guy was my boss. He wasn't my friend. I never expected him to be a friend to me. You know, Jim, I met you when I was, I've told you this before, when I was in high school and I, I got a, a guy wanted to be my agent, ended up not being my agent, but he was supposed to be an agent of the Ultimate Warrior or something. I'm not sure of the relationship. Warrior said he probably was, he wasn't. I'm not sure what happened. Anyway, they, he got me tickets to a, a wrestling match in Amarillo. And I come up there and I got to meet you backstage. A lot of Jim Neidhart and you and, and got to meet Warrior backstage. And you were with your, had your two by four and you'd thrown it up and you dropped it backstage. And I asked you, I, when he came over and said hi to me, I said, you ever worry about dropping it in front of the crowd? And you just laughed. You go, no, nah, you got to go for it, kid. And that, <laughs> that's always stuck with me my whole life. It's funny how some little things has always stuck well, with you. You got to yeah. go for it, kid. You know, yeah. when you get out there, you got to try. You just got to do, you got to go for it. Especially before I had my eyes fixed. You guys know my eyes were crossed. I roll in the ring. I'd be like, don't move. They're like, who's he talking to? (laughs) Back then, after my deal on television, man, I would throw that board up as high as I could. And I'd get out from it. And I never missed it on TV. But people are like, you're really happy when you catch that. I'm like, yeah, I'm really (laughs) happy. Which one are you catching, right? The middle one, the the middle one, or the two outside ones? <laughs> but you know, one time though, I got this big nasty splinter in my thumb. You know, real bad splinter, and I went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> always a comedian. <laughs> That's what we love about you, Jim. You've always <laughs> I have a good time. Yeah. Hey, Jim, when you were when you were in uh, Mid South and WrestleMania one happens, they take dog. WrestleMania two happens, they take you. Were you guys aware that Vince was taking over the wrestling world at that time? And did you think he'd be successful? What was your thoughts in Mid South? Because you had a really uh, you had a great uh, brain running it in Bill Watts. You had a great territory. What were your thoughts? What was going to happen in the wrestling landscape in the next 10 years? Yeah, the first time I worked with uh, like Kurt Henning and the Road Warriors was a, a combination show with uh, those guys up in Minnesota and uh, Bill. We did a show at the Meadowlands uh, where right. they were going to try to compete with Vince. But, I mean, you just got to give Vince credit. Look at uh, WWE with the Turner organization and all the power and connection they had. And for them to go head-to-head and to him to beat the, the Turner, you know, as smart as Bill is and uh, Ganya and everybody else, Vince is in New York, New York, New York, you know, and a lot of advantages to that. So I think the writing was on the wall and, and the, the guys saw it. That's why guys were peeling off. We, we kind of went through the same thing, you know, Val, uh, Greg Valentine left, Sarge left, and then when Hot Rod left, Hot Rod was really the tipping point there in, in Mid-Atlantic, you know, uh, when when we kind of knew, hey, you know, the, the war is going to be over pretty soon, you know, we going to win. So when Hot Rod left, because he, he was the anchor there in Atlanta and Mid-Atlantic, so we we lost him, we, we lost our money train there. Piper, he was my uh, roommate. We did that Legend House show, that reality show. I had Piper as a roommate. So I could get away with anything. I'd blame it on Piper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about that. That that was a that was a great programming. Now I'm surprised that WWE they really never never tried to bring that 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 concept back. Yeah, I think uh, what they took eight uh, wrestlers, eight legend guys, and put us in a mansion out in Palm Springs for almost five weeks. I mean, I think it probably might have been because I know in the beginning it was like Pat, me, and Gene were hitting the vodka. You know, the first <laughs> week, the first week was the expensive stuff. By the end of the tour, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> that they took your phones away from you and everything, right? You were phones away from us. Uh, you, uh, you had your own camera crew, uh, you know, a camera guy, a uh, assistant camera guy, and a producer. They'd follow you around. They said, "Well, don't talk to them." You know me, how, how you doing, guys? Don't talk to him, Duggan. <laughs> but this one, that first week we were out there, it was pretty dead, you know? So I'm thinking, how can I spice things up a little bit? So I wait till everybody goes to bed, and I sneak out. I can't throw the pool furniture in the pool, but I set all the pool furniture in the pool because the splash would wake the guys up, right? So I get it all in the <laughs> pool. I go to bed. I wake up the next morning. I go in the kitchen, and Pat and Gene, Pat Patterson and Gene Oakley went in there. And Pat is pissed off he's like i just talked to vince he's going to pull the plug on the whole project somebody ruined all the pool furniture last night and i was like well piper he wasn't in his bed last night <laughs> <laughs> piper comes in they all jump on his butt and then tony alice tony and i almost we were very very close to a fist fight i mean as close as i've been to probably not going and I, I tell folks, I can understand Tony having trouble with me and Piper. You know, we're a pain in the ass, too. You know, but how do you have trouble with Hillbilly Jim? Wow. <laughs> the guy's like a Buddhist monk. You know, he meditates, <laughs> does music, he cooks. But Tony had trouble with everybody in the, in the house. And uh, one time uh, we, we were real close. And that's why you don't have a lot of fights in dressing room and wrestling, I believe, because 
you're not going to go beat somebody up in the dressing room. The other guy, he knows how to fight too, and he's going to get his in. You know, so it's one of those deals. Yeah, I won. <laughs> and so I think that mutual assured destruction. Uh, <laughs> Tony, <laughs> Tony, we didn't go, but we were we were close. But uh, at, at actually at the Chippendales deal, they took us to Las Vegas, so and we danced with the Chippendale dancers. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine a bunch of young girls expecting to see some hot young guys and eight old wrestlers? <laughs> Howard Finkel. Jerry <laughs> Jane Oakland, Howard Finkel, Pat Patterson. Oh, yeah. oh, but we had a good time, man. Most of the stuff was backstage, but the last skit was a risky business skit where you had the pink shirt and the tidy whiteies and the sunglasses. And they said, now this time you go out and you dance with the women. And in the crowd, and when you hear the saxophone, that's the cue to come up on stage and do this little skit. So I was drinking heavy back then. <laughs> At the end of the show, I'm out and we're dancing with all the women. Now the women are into it, you know, and so they're slapping you on the butt and throwing money. And way in the background, I can hear Piper going, Hacksaw, dog it. Dog and I turn around. They've been playing the sax for about five minutes. <laughs> I was totally oblivious to it out there. Dan. And, and you, you had, you were good friends with Piper until that, till that week, right? Yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. The first, I think Vince put us together, expecting a drama out of it. I really do, because the first two or three days it was like, yeah, how you doing, brother? I'm doing good. How about you? <laughs> But then by the end of the end of the thing, I was sitting on his bed and we're to the edge of his bed telling stories. Yeah, we we really hit it off. We became friends. After that, our families became friends. His daughter, uh, Ariel, uh, is, is wrestling now. Is, is I cool. just met I met her last weekend. Down yeah, in Florida. Uh, yeah. Uh, but um, so who knows? She might get a break. I, I know that, that Ronda Rousey deal kind of should have been hers, I thought. But that's why I'm not in Stanford, though. Razor Lennon's Red Stafford. You know, Hacksaw, I've always thought that I was I was really lucky uh, in my career, as Jerry was later in his career, to be part of the Attitude Era. You know, ratings were so high during that era. You're kind of the same because you had the WrestleMania era. You know, yeah. people remember eras. You know, they, they don't remember a lot, maybe the of the early '90s, but they remember that WrestleMania era with you and 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 Hogan and Sarge and the Giant and all these and you're great still there, ten guys, yeah. These yes. great characters, and they remember the attitude. You know, it's, it's it's just you look back and think, man, I was lucky to be part of wrestling when it really was was a hit. Not that it's not a hit now, uh, right. but there's so different popular, times. There'll be a hundred thousand people, but yeah, that was a moment, especially that that group. You know, Andre the Giant. I wow. mean. To wrestle Andre the Giant, what a thrill. Of course, back then, if, if there was a giant in our business, Big John Stud, Yokozuna, Umaga, like, Duggan, get your two-by-four. <laughs> I had to wrestle every giant there was, you know. But uh, we did the TV show, and Andre's down in the middle of the ring. He goes, I challenge anyone. Like, Duggan, get your two-by-four. <laughs> <laughs> So I had my two by four. I run down to the ring and I got my chin on Andre's belly. I'm looking up at him like, I'm not afraid of you. <laughs> and he went to grab me. And when he did, his thumb hit my lip and knocked my lip off. Boom, my lip fell down. <laughs> and now he's choking me. He got me by the throat and he's choking me. But it worked out great because blood is just cascading down my chest. It's just pouring. And Andre's got me by the throat. He's choking me down. He's choking me down. He's choking me down. 
I feel around. I get to take two by four. Wham! I hit Andre between the eyes. He goes down like a huge redwood tree. WWF goes off the air. Me standing over Andre the Giant covered in blood. Ho, ho! (laughs) Wow. And that was a a huge, huge moment in my career, man. And like we were saying earlier, if Andre didn't want to do that, he wouldn't do that. So that was a a huge favor he did for me. Of course, Andre was very select on who he did those favors to. Very, very select. Yeah. And back in the, he could be a playful giant at times too, you know, especially guys with long hair. He'd punch you, knock you down, and your hair'd lay on either side of the mat. And he'd step on either side and step on your hair and grab yeah. your arms and pick you up. <laughs> so it's I, a really neat way to have your hair pulled. You know? Yeah. yeah. I, I got to I got to witness uh Hellman Art Sheik over in St. Petersburg, Florida in a match. We were sitting in the dress room and he's sitting in between my brother and I, and he elbows us and he said, you might want to watch this match. I got chic. I said, oh, God. <laughs> nothing else needed to be said. So we all went out there. The, the, the back door was sold out. You know, everybody wanted to see what was going on. Poor Sheik, he went from one side of the ring to the other side of the ring with, with no no uh, uh, sorrow at all from Andre. <laughs> yeah, well, he chased Bam Bam out of the ring there. I think it was in the, at the garden, yeah. He wasn't, I mean, he's just being heavy-handed. He wasn't really, you know, just... It was a bear, you know, 500 pounds. I mean, that's when I was first wrestling, he knocked me down. Bobby Heenan was managing him, and Bobby's like, give him the mudslide, Andre. Give him the mudslide. <laughs> and I've been, shit, I've been wrestling for a while. I've never heard of a mudslide. <laughs> but then Andre comes, sits on me like a human suppository. I go, right <laughs> crack of his ass. So then whenever I'm working, I'm selling it. I hear Heenan go, Give him the mudslide. I'd roll out of the ring. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. The only spot he didn't would call. <laughs> but I feel like I should have knocked the guy with long hair in. But Jake used to come back to the dressing room. His hair would be sticking right up. He'd go, I, I hate when he does that. I, I hate when he does that. <laughs> and I'm sure you guys probably heard that, you know, the famous uh, Japan elevator story. Uh, with Andre, you know how it is. You fly all the day, you get over to Japan. It's a long trip. We're all we're staying at the Kyo Plaza, this fancy Dan hotel in uh, Tokyo. And you got to go like to 450 and change and go up to another elevator, right? So we get on the elevator. It's me, DiBiase, Jake, and Andre. And just before the elevator's doors close, about six or eight. 10 Japanese guys all compile it in, you know, because personal space doesn't exist in Japan. So now we're all crowded in the elevator, right? Soon as the elevator starts, Andre does it, he starts his giant laugh. Ho, 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 ho. We're all looking up at DBS and like, uh, Andre, why why are you laughing? Andre goes, because I'm farting. <laughs> <laughs> wow. About, about then you see the green gas coming up, you know. Me, DiBiase, and Jake are on our toes trying to stay north of it. <laughs> Those poor Japanese guys are down low. They're really suffering, right? So now we're like 448, 449, and Andre's still laughing. And Jake's like, Andre, why are you still laughing? I'm still farting. <laughs> Andre stories, a million of them, man. That's great. That yeah. is what great. a tough life for the guy, though, to be that big, especially back then. Now there's 11, a lot of seven-foot guys, you know, basketball players, and 
But back then, he was seven foot, 500 pounds. Imagine trying to get on the bathroom on an airplane. Yeah, and 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 you you can't hide when you're that big. You know, you used to travel with Big Show, or you know, guys who looked completely different. Guys like Stone Cold or The Undertaker or The Rock, you know, they look different than everybody yeah. else. You know, you can't hide when you're that big. Of course, or Macho that- used to wear a gimmick everywhere he went, man. You know, <laughs> I said Macho, what you saw on TV was pretty way the way Macho Man was. You know, and <laughs> Joe, he go to McDonald's, he'd be like, "Alpha milkshake." Fries and a burger. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Mots, turn it down, brother. Turn it. It's way down, hacker. It's way down, brother. <laughs> I was sitting by Warrior one time at an airport and he had a warrior a logo on his jacket. He had a warrior logo on his Halliburton. He had a warrior hat on. And he turned to me, he goes, I don't know why the fans won't leave me alone. <laughs> I, I don't either. Uh, you're a walking billboard. <laughs> yeah, I just did uh, the Jericho cruise a couple of weeks ago, man. And uh, I enjoyed being in with the fans, man. I like talking to them. And plus, as you know, it's humbling. Not uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was doing an autograph session. I'm sitting there writing and I look at this little guy, you know, 6'5", 290 in line, tat, tatted up and he's looking at me pretty hard. You know, and he's working his way through the line. I'm checking on my security. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, the guy gets up to me, grabs my hand, squeezes my hand. Hacksaw Duggan, me and my dad, we used to watch it together. And he started crying. I started crying. Everybody started crying. It's it's humbling the effect they have on folks. People remember. They bring pictures of their mom. Our whole family sat around the TV and watched TV every Sunday. It was a huge part of so many people's lives. Yeah, and, and a big part. You know, I, I, my college roommates, you know, who, who aren't enamored by anybody. Uh, I'm going to text with them like everybody is with their old, all their old buddies. And I was, they said, what are you doing? And I said, I got Hacksaw Jim Duggan on. Every one of them were like, oh, my God, they're all ho and ho. And, you know, it's just it's cool when you have such an impact on, on people's lives like like you have. And like well, Mr. thank Briscoe you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing just from a, a television show, you know. I mean, uh, it's it's like I said, it, it's humbling. It's around the world, you know. You get out of uh, Scotland, get out of the uh, the bus, people are off the cab. They're like, oh, of course, this whole kind of works everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like hose. Rick, you know, you see Rick all the time. It's like, Rick, how's your day? Woo, Rick, what are you having for lunch? Woo, Rick, how's your woo? I'm like, Rick, your trunk's too tight or what, man? <laughs> well, Hacksaw, I, I told Mrs. Saul, and I found out that was her name in Arkansas when uh, they, they told me, Jerry, they said, you know, you're by Hack, uh, Mr., uh, Hacksaw and Mrs. Saul are going to be here in a minute. And <laughs> I said, Miss, Mrs. Yeah. Saul. Mrs. Saul, yeah, she's like Santa's wife. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. No. Yeah. Well, nowadays, you know, with all the uh, my medication and stuff, uh, Deborah travels with me, keeps an eye on me. And uh, so it makes it fun. We could stop and smell the roses. Actually, our, uh, we're after uh, WrestleMania in Los Angeles. It's going to be our 34th anniversary. We're going wow. to Tahiti. Wow. Good oh, for that's you. awesome. Because yeah. we're right there in L.A. And so we'll uh, something new. So Tahiti, almost yeah. 40 years together, 34 married. Wow, Jim. Jim, I, I follow you on Facebook uh, as a lot of other people, but I see you. I see a lot of your posts. It looks like you're really, really enjoying life now, and you and Deborah are out, out and about everywhere. And, and everywhere you go, I see people around you. So it, it must be exciting as hell. 
Yeah, it really is, Jerry. Especially, you know, back in the day, you you, you see the world, but you see the arena, yeah, the hotel, yeah. and the airport. Uh, nowadays, we're stopping. If we do it, like we're doing a Comic-Con, stay a few days. We were up in Alaska, spent a week up there. Just take advantage of all the opportunities that wrestling offers you. You know, you, you people say it must be great you saw the world. Yeah, I saw every major airport in the world. It, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> in the hotel and the arena, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's been a it's been a great business, man. It really. I said you invested in a pair of trunks, and well, actually, Gary Hart gave me my first trunks <laughs> and boots, and, and made a career forty years, forty plus years later. I'm living a comfortable life. It, it's been a great business. Where, 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 where can we find you now? What, what's going on with Hacksaw Jim Duggan and his career? Uh, let's see. Um, this weekend, I got a, a, a virtual. It's amazing how those virtual autograph sessions work. I got a virtual up in uh, Charlotte, and then next week I'm up in um, West Virginia. Uh, but though I got a couple stand-ups coming, then we go to Scott, but my stand-ups right before WrestleMania will be in Chandler, Arizona, and Las Vegas. And my, I do a stand-up. A lot of guys do a stand-up, especially like Jake. Mine's uh, family-friendly, though. Uh, you know, I tell stories about traveling with Jake, wrestling Andre, but I, I keep it family-friendly. You, yeah, family you don't tell the elevator story, though. <laughs> yeah, I do. That's, that's one of my top ones. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Well, Hacksaw, thank you so much for joining us. I've been looking forward to this forever. We had a mix-up because I'm the worst booker in the history of the world, and Mr. Briscoe didn't do it. So <laughs> thank you so well, that's much. That's what Mr. Briscoe was saying. <laughs> well, he, I'll second that, John. He called me. He called me, and I answered the phone. He goes, so you're a dumbass. That's all, that's all he said to me. Uh, yes, yes, sir, I am. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I'm glad we finally were able to hook up because I think the first time I that's when I should have started my health issues. So it, it was. took a while, but it, it worked out. And it was good to see you in Arkansas. It really was. Oh, it's always great to see you. Thank well, you. Thank Jerry, you so much. Well, before we sign off, John and I is going to go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Jerry, and you too, buddy. I don't know how often you hold, but you got to give me a hold before we go, guys. Let's go. All right, everybody. Oh! Yeah, everybody should start the day off with a good home. <laughs> <laughs>